probably uh, one of the most vigorous races a person could run. It's called the Badwater 135. The Badwater 135 starts in Death Valley, the lowest place on the continental U.S. called the Badwater Basin. And it travels 135 miles up and over three mountain ranges and finishes at the end of the road at the top of Mount Whitney, which is the highest point in the continental U.S. What a race. Yes? Anyone want to take on the continental, I mean the Badwater 135? I wouldn't want to, but there's all kinds of incredible races. Uh, there's a group of people called the F5 Challenge, and they challenged me, and I did not accept the challenge to start in one rim of the Grand Canyon, run down it, and come back up to the other rim. I said, that sounds like a great idea. I hope someone has fun doing that. As many of you know, I do like to run, and I'll share some testimonies today about it, but I believe that there is a race that each one of us has to run. And if the title I would give is Run Your Race. And uh, I'm going to be a little biased this morning, not biased, but I'm going to be emphasizing Rissa, you, and Emily, just because um, you have a race that's in front of you that you've been running, and now you have another leg of the race. In the Bible, race is often uh, given to symbolize the Christian life. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. If you have your Bibles, 2 Timothy 4, verse 7 talks about uh, how our lives as Christians are a race. And we are going to look at that today. Paul, as he finished his ministry, said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. He says, I have finished the race. Well, we're in a race today, and as we go into that race, um, I believe there's some running tips that the Bible has for us. But before we go into them, do you mind bowing your heads with me? Father, it is with joyful hearts we come together this morning, praising you for the work you have done in people's lives. We think of Karen and her baptism. We think of Jake, Rissa, and Emily with um, a finishing of school. And we think also of our eighth graders who just shared a little video with us as they are finishing and starting their new chapter. Father, I pray that you would give us grace today because each one of us is in a race. We pray for your Holy Spirit now to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. In Acts chapter 20, verse 24, Paul says something very, something, very interesting. Acts chapter 20, in verse 24, he's speaking to the Ephesian elders, and he says this. He says, that none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, that I may finish, and what is the next word? That I finish my race with joy. I find that very interesting, because... Um, have you ever thought about what Paul's race included? If you were running the race alongside of Paul, what would have happened? Well, Paul, um, yes, he had been whipped within an inch of death five times. Uh, he had three beatings with rods. He was stoned almost to death. They thought it was death. Shipwrecked three times. He was left in jail. 
Uh, some of you may remember this story. He was escorted by Roman soldiers out of Jerusalem at midnight so the assassins couldn't get a hold of him. Uh, just a very, very interesting life for Paul. I got good news for you. Paul's race is not yours. That should be good news. It was his race. But the Bible says something interesting in a passage where we're going to spend our time today. It's found in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Hebrews chapter 12. And thank you, Tash, for reading for us this morning. I'm looking for you. Okay. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. And this will be where we focus our time. Therefore also we, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is what? The race that is set before us. Every single one of us has a race that's set before you. The race that's set before, I'm going to pick on you, Miss Fernanda. The race that's set before you is not the race that was set before Rissa. Yes? You have two different races. Each one of us has our own race to run. Although we are running in the Christian race, Everyone brings something to the race that makes our race different from somebody else's. Um, because you are not them, you can't run their race. You have to run yours. You know, I used to wish I could run someone else's race. I, <laughs> maybe you've never done this, but I look at someone else's life and say, man, I wish I had that life. You know, I, have, I found out that people actually did that to me. And I thought, you have no idea. But, but people do that, right? We look at other people's race, and um, one person once was bold enough to say, Chuck, you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth. I said, it might have been a spoon, but it wasn't silver. <laughs> you know, it's, we, we all have different races that we run. My race is not yours, and your race is not mine. However, in Hebrews chapter 12, there is some tips that God gives for us, running tips. And it's no, I, I like running tips. Running tips like, okay, you should be hitting the ground approximately 160 times per minute with your feet. Each foot should be hitting about 80 times. That's an incredible rate. But if you go slow, it doesn't hurt your knees as much. And you didn't come to hear this running tip, so I'll stop there. But God has running tips for you in your Christian race. And... I added a little one here. It's called a college run. There is some tips for us. Okay, so here's the first one that we see. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Running tip number one, I've entitled simply, be practical. If you are going to run a race, don't put on a snowsuit. Um, my first year of teaching, after I got out of college, I liked running. I started running, and I'm a very scheduled person. And I came home from work, and I only had about 30 minutes, so I had to be at the next place. And I determined that I was going to run that day, so I was going to run no matter what. So I decided, okay, I'm going to run with my work boots on and a pair of jeans. I did three miles with work boots and a pair of jeans, and I lived with the pain of that for a long time. Don't 
carry weight you don't have to carry. Let aside the, the uh, weight that could hurt you. You know, in college, you shouldn't, you probably will do this. I used to run with a backpack all the time because I was always late. But, but it doesn't work. I mean, it hurts. Your shoulders start burning or whatever it may be. Lay aside every weight. Now, spiritually speaking, what does that mean? Um, Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. We're going to look at a few Bible texts. Paul talks about running a lot. But this is not necessarily about running, but it's a good advice anyhow about things to put off. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 8. He says, but now you yourselves are to put off all of these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. You know, um, those kinds of things typically come from negative emotions. Put it off. When you go into your spiritual journey, you can't grow spiritually, you can't run well spiritually if you're holding on to negative things from the past. Am I right? I'm angry at somebody. I have malice towards someone. I want to get even with them. Let it go. Stop holding on to it. Ephesians 4, just a few pages before, says this. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22. That ye put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitfulness of lust. Put off the way you acted when you were the old man or old woman. What does that mean? What you were before you met Jesus. The way you were, that's your old man or old woman. What you were before you met Jesus, put it off. Get rid of that conversation. The places you used to go to, stop going. The things you used to do, stop doing it. Let that, 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 that part of your life be dead, if you will, and live a new life. Now, how does that work in college? By the way, I think that the advice that goes here is not just for your spiritual walk. I think it applies to every part of your life, and I'm just going to apply it to college. Um, you probably heard of emotional baggage. Yeah? Uh, these are things that we carry from our past that weigh us down. While it's hard to do it at some times, we have to actually let that baggage go. Um, holding on to it doesn't make college easier. Holding on to pain inside doesn't make our study any easier. By the way, this is an advantage a Christian has who's going to college. A Christian who's going to college has this advantage. You ask Jesus to help you let go of your baggage. If you haven't done it, it's not complicated. It's just hard. Okay? God, I ask you to take whatever it is that's holding me down and show me how to let it go. Because quite frankly, to say, oh, just let it go, yeah, that sounds nice. But the reality is I think we need to ask God to show us how to do it. And he can give us pointers in this. Um, you know, uh, negative things don't help you achieve your goal of college education. 
Uh, there's another thing, too. There's a lot of drama in college. Am I right? Okay, so I have some college people who have been here saying, yes, there's... Don't let the college drama have you lose sight of the direction you're going. Um, I won't get too specific, but I remember specifically my first year, I would stare at my homework on my desk and I was studying foods and nutrition. I, I'm glad I did it, but I, I, yes. And I was studying foods and nutrition. I'm looking at it and she came into my mind instead of foods and nutrition. You understand what I'm saying? And it was so difficult to focus. And, and then I'm, I'm trying to, to work on some kind of project, and for some reason, she was working on the project in my mind. It wasn't working. Sometimes anything can be a weight. And it's time to let it go and pursue on the course that God has called you to. The next running tip is kind of simple. Where are we at? Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And we're just going to focus on the next three words. Let us run. It doesn't say let us walk. Let us jog. Let us contemplate the race that's before us. Let us run it. Let us run the race. When you are running a race, be in it to win it, as I've heard some people say. Yes? Um, Don't run half-heartedly, but run to accomplish your goals. God has given you goals. I've talked to both of you, and I know that God's given you goals. That's awesome. Um, I was out playing disc golf with Rad this week. And uh, Rad's always a fun person to play disc golf with because he gets me encouraged and pumped up. So we were out at 5.30 and, uh, in the morning. And uh, I throw as hard as I can. At least I think I am. And Rad always throws farther than I do. And uh, some people said it's because he's trying to impress me, but I don't think that's really what it is. Um, he throws so much harder than I do. And I thought, how does he throw so hard? So finally I said, Rad, you're... Every first throw is going further than mine. How do you throw so hard? He said, let's see if I have this somewhere. If you want the disc to go far, you really have to whip it. That's nothing complicated, right? You would expect some deep kind of philosophy. It's not. You have to really just put something into it. And I found out that I don't put something into it. You know why? I'm afraid of hitting a tree. So I don't put something into it. I hit a tree anyhow. And I have to really give it something. When you are in college and when you're running your life, because there's some people still running a race today. That would be all of us, isn't it? Whip it. Put effort into it. Give it what you've got. That is important when you are running. But you know, 1 Corinthians talks about running, and it adds a little bit to it. You don't mind turning there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And Paul describes the race of a Christian. We're going to be looking at the spiritual element, and then we'll be looking at its application um, to us in life and also in college. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24 says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? 
But one receives the prize. Here's the first thing that we comes in this section of being disciplined. Run that such a way that you may obtain it. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Um, in a Christian race, that's why you run, to get the prize. What is that prize? That prize, um, well, someone said this. Here's why Jesus ran his race. For the joy that was set before him. What was the joy that was set before Jesus? The prize that was before Jesus. What was the prize that was set before Jesus in his run of race, his race that he was running? We were. Yes, in fact, I have a, a quote here. It says, the joy was to see souls saved by his humiliation, his agony, and the shedding of his blood. Simply put, you and I were the prize Jesus was running for. Um, as a Christian, our prize is Jesus. For him, his prize was us. You know, uh, the next part here, I, I like it. It says in verse, uh, back in Hebrews chapter excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 21. And everyone who competes for the prize is tempered in all things. They do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus. And this is what I was talking about a little bit earlier with disc golf. Not with what? Not with uncertainty. Oh, I'm not quite sure. Um, give 100% when you follow Jesus and you will have joy. Give 99% and you'll be miserable. 90% you'll be miserable. If you really want to have success in your Christian run, give it. Give it all. Don't run half-heartedly. Don't run with uncertainty. That's the way to have success in your Christian walk. And there's something else it says in verse 27, but I, what's that next word? Discipline, and that's what we're looking at here, running tip number two, be disciplined. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Um, how do you discipline yourself as a Christian? Some people actually talk about Christian disciplines, but how would you discipline yourself? I'd say take time every day to talk to your coach. Yes? Find out from him by reading his word what he, what he desires for you. The best methods in running the Christian race are found here. Take time to look at them. Look at the, the author and finisher of our faith, who's Jesus. Spend time looking. But so being practical, we looked at, now we're looking at being disciplined. How does being disciplined help in a college life? I guess that's kind of uh, obvious, if you wish to excel in an area that you're studying, here's a way to help. Um, it doesn't happen if you don't study. Uh, my sister is here, and she says that um, she did well because she studied hard. And she said, if I studied hard, I could have done well. Did you catch that? Uh, distinct difference. I was too much enjoying the life of college to really benefit and become the very best I could be in my subject matter. I just didn't take the time to do that. Um, great athletes eat right, sleep right, work out right, have downtime right, 
Everything they do is to make the run the best they can, and in college, it's the same way. Uh, I've met people in college who eat whatever they can get their hands on, sleep for every few minutes that they can possibly find, and I've found that when you do that, you do not excel with your brain. Eat food that helps your brain grow. You're smart. You've been through academy. You know what that is. Exercise your mind and also your body to sleep. How many hours of sleep would be good? At least seven, right? Seven to eight hours of sleep. Um, I've met people who go to bed at nine o'clock when they're in college and they pass with great grades. And then I've met people who go to bed at two or three o'clock in the morning, been there, done it, wake up at six the next morning, and you didn't get quite as much done. It's choosing how you're going to do it. So I encourage you to discipline yourselves as you walk through it. Next one, running tip three. It is found in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse one. Hebrews 12, verse one. We just went through and let us run. What was the next phrase? Let us run with endurance. Let us run with endurance. If you have the King James Version, it says let us run with patience. Um, In almost every area of life, whether you are starting college or if you're retired, you realize something. The life race is not a sprint. Am I right? The life race is a marathon. If you give, uh, when do you see endurance? So when do you recognize if a person's endurance? Do you see a person's endurance in the first five minutes of a race? When do you see a person's endurance? Towards the end or when else? When you're going up a really difficult grade and you've been running for three miles and now you have to keep moving up that difficult hill, that's when you see endurance. Endurance is seen when times are difficult. Um, Spiritually speaking, do we need endurance? Absolutely. I mean, can, is the Christian walk an easy one? And that's a loaded question, isn't it? It is, and I understand that. When you're walking with Jesus, it makes it worthwhile, and that's easy. But the reality is it takes effort to walk. Am I right? There are times in our Christian experience when doubt weighs us down. There are times in our Christian experience when trials weigh us down. Sometimes it's anxiety. Sometimes it's depression. Sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's anger. Sometimes it's someone else that we think it's someone else and it's really us. But we can have difficulties and continuing in our Christian journey at that time is endurance. It's patience, and that's what God's asking. Why? If you don't endure, you'll never finish. There is a passage that most of us know well here, Hebrews, uh, Revelation chapter 14, verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. The reason God tells us that in Revelation 14, and he also said in Revelation 13, 10, 
is because patience is necessary when you go through trial. I would ask who does not go through trial in their Christian experience, but I, I don't want you to raise your hand because I don't, I don't, everyone else is going to mob you after. I would say most of us struggle. Most of us know that a race is just not a walk in the park. Our Christian race is serious. Um, do you need patience when you go to college? Do you need endurance? So the first year is incredible, okay? It's the first of everything. I, I wrote some of the first down because I've actually forgotten the first until I wrote them down. Um, you have your first college classes, your first college semester exam, you have your first college socials, your first time living in college dorms, your first time for college athletics, first time for a couple other things too, which I did not write down. There's a lot of first, but there's also some other first. It's the first time you're away from your family. For some of you, it may be true. It's your first time um, away from a lot of your high school friends. It's a first. And what happens is when that takes place, you need endurance. And then your second year, I tell you what, I would, uh, the second year of college, in my opinion, if you're in it, God bless you. But it is one of the hardest years. First year, you still have a little bit of the surprise of everything and just trying to keep your head above water. But the sophomore year, the bills are mounting up from your college loans. You're recognizing that this is a drain on the brain. You're recognizing how am I going to pull through and it's in your sophomore year, I tell you, you need endurance. You really need endurance. You need endurance every year. But those who finish college are those who have patience. And they don't stop. It's endurance race. It's a marathon. And I encourage you to that. Our next one is found in verse 2. Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. You know, to accomplish anything, you have to have a focus. We have a, a, a corner lot here in Centerville, uh, the parsonage that the conference has for us. And I've never, I've kind of mown grass like in circles. Um, when I grew up, you took a, the, the lawnmower around the edge of your lawn and then when you got around, you did the ins then you did the next one, and I just went in a circle on and on until I came to the center. That's how I used to mow grass. But I've, you know, I've seen nice lawns, and I realize that nice lawns have those striped look. You know what I mean? You can tell that they were going this direction one way, and they're going this direction the other way, and, and it was nice, and it's not in a circle effect, at least um, that's what I, I assumed. So I have my lawnmower, and I'm going and cutting across the grass. And as I was cutting across the grass, I noticed that I was swerving a little bit to the right. And so I turned a little bit to the left to keep it. And it kept swerving to the right a little bit. And I kept trying to hold it to the left. And when I was done, my, my stripe kind of had this appearance across the lawn. And then I try to fix it by, you know what I'm trying, right? So I, I'm cutting a little bit of the grass here and a lot of the grass here and a little bit of grass here, hoping to make it straight. And my lawn just... It wasn't looking too good. So I remembered something my dad told me. My dad grew, on a far, grew up on a farm, and he said, when you're plowing, you find one spot at the far end. You just focus on that, and all you do is look at that. You're not even looking at what you're doing. You're walking straight towards that point. I thought, well, if it worked for plowing, it should work for mowing grass. 
And so I found, I think it was, the, it depends which direction, because I try to do my rows, my stripes in different directions. I figured that's kind of cool. And um, so sometimes I'm facing for a, a telephone pole, and other times I'm facing for the front door, whatever it may be. I keep one thing and go straight. I turned around, and you know what I saw? A straight line. Having a focus, one point, and not losing sight of it gives you a straight line. That is what I found is needed in a Christian walk. If you lose sight of Christ in your Christian journey, you know what your line in Christian walk is going to look like? Or like mine. Miss that one. Miss that one. If you're looking at what you're doing right now and your focus is your current action and your focus is not on Jesus Christ, you're going to have some weird-looking grass in your life. But if you focus on Jesus and you stay focused on Jesus and make him your path, you can see great things happen. You remember the story of Peter. Peter and his, the disciples, we were depressed. They're, this is stories in Matthew chapter 14. They were out on the lake they were thinking depressing thoughts. And if you read the book, Desire of Ages, it says God allowed a wind to come to help them think about something different. So the wind comes up, it's contrary, and they're rowing, and they're bailing water, doing everything they possibly can. And then they see something walking to them on the water. At first they thought it was a ghost, the Bible says. And they were scared, and Jesus says, no, it's me, don't be afraid. And Peter said, hey, Lord, if it's you, Ask me to come out and walk towards you. And Jesus said, come. So Peter gets out and he starts walking. You're familiar with the story. He's walking towards Jesus. He's looking at Jesus. And then, as some people would say, turn around and say, hey, guys, check it out. And then he turned around. And at that point, he sees a wave. And he doesn't see Jesus. And instantly, at the loss of the sight of Jesus, the faith disappeared, and he said, no! And he started sinking in. His lack of seeing Jesus destroyed his faith, which caused him to sink. And so Jesus was there, by the way. Again, the book Desire of Ages says, this is one prayer that God always answers, Lord, save me. And that's what Peter cried out, Lord, save me. You may get to experiences in your life those of you who are going off to college, you'll get in this position. Lord, save me. Some of you are in that situation maybe even now. Maybe you have been there. Maybe you will be that in the next week or two. I don't know. But I, I can guarantee you it's a prayer that God always answers. Lord, save me. Why do we look to Jesus? It's not complicated. It's in the rest of the verse. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus is the author of our faith, and he's the finisher of our faith. You know why he's the author of our faith? Because he, by the grace of God, went to Calvary for us and laid the foundation for our faith. Why is he the finisher? because he's now ministering for us in the heavenly sanctuary, interceding on our behalf and offering his life in us. He is the author and the finisher of our faith.
You know, Hebrews chapter 12 began with describing a race. In fact, it says this, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and instantly the minds of those who were reading Paul's writing said, Oh, yes, the amphitheaters, tier upon tier of people looking at you as you're about to run. They're staring at you. You are the center. They are wanting to watch what you're about to do, to cheer you on or to boo you, whatever it may happen to be, in that Roman culture. But the the cloud of witnesses in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, is not the amphitheater of Rome. The cloud of witnesses in Romans, excuse me, in Hebrews chapter 12 is Hebrews chapter 11. In fact, a lot of people say the first two verses of Hebrews 12 are really just a continuation of Hebrews 11. They should be connected together. Hebrews 11, what do we call Hebrews 11? The faith chapter, yes? By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah, by faith, Abraham, and Sarah, and Isaac, and Jacob, and Esau. It goes on. By faith, by faith, by faith. These all people are the cloud of witnesses that are watching today. So, they've run the race before you. In a way, it's kind of like a relay race. The race isn't done yet on this planet. Abel had his run, and he took the baton that was in his hand, and he passed it off for the sakes of Hebrews 11 to Enoch. Enoch runs. He passes it off. Noah takes it, and he runs, and he passes it on. And there's one person after another taking the baton that's being passed to them and passing to the next one. When they run, they, did, they weren't running perfectly, but they set aside the weight, they set aside the sin, and they gave it their very best. They weren't perfect runners, but they ran their race. It was their race. One took the baton and passed it to the next. One took the baton and passed it to the next. One person after another. The race is a relay race, and it's not done yet because you and I are still running it. The baton now is being passed to you and to me. Samuel had it. David had it. Rahab had it. Moses had it. Gideon had it. Each one focused on the author and finisher of their race. They didn't stop running. You know what I find interesting? Verse 39 of Hebrews 11 says this, And these all, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Wait, what are you saying? What is Paul saying here? Here these people have had this excellent life of faith. They ran their course as Paul did, and it says they did not receive the promise. How can that be? How can it be that Noah has not received the promise? Abraham has not received the promise. David has not received the promise. How can that be? Doesn't it seem unfair? They have run their course in the race, and now they're waiting for you and for me. The baton has been passed into our hands, and it's our turn to run. Let's look at verse 40. God, having provided something better for who? For us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. They're waiting for us. The final leg of the race could be now. 
you could be the final runners. I don't know. But I do know one thing. The baton is now in your hands. It's now time for you to run. It's time for you to take the, take the weight and set it aside. It's time for us to, to stop walking and to start running. It's time for us to run with endurance because the life we're living is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And it's time for us to realize that if we wish our course to be straight, we must look to the author and finisher of our faith. Who today will run your race? Who today say, I want to run the race that's mine? I want to run my race. Who wants to say, I want to endure by God's grace the race that's set before me? And finally, who today said, you know that baton? It's been passed to me. I'll take it. And I'm going to run by his grace. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, you have called us to be part of an incredible race one that is won by you and us. Lord, please bless us. I pray especially that you will be with Emily, Rissa, Jake. Father, that you will guide them in their race of life. They have a very special weekend today. I think of Emily and Rissa as they are graduating. Please bless them in the ceremonies and everything that happens. And Father, for each one of us, we have a race too. Give us courage, Father, to take the baton and run. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.